All right, we're on, on our series, and we're going to chug a little farther in this bitterness thing today. And you're going, again? Yes, again. I got a great illustration this morning. It'll set a bunch of stuff up. So uh, grab your Bibles, and we'll look at it. So last week, we talked about the damaging effect that bitterness has on our attitudes. And I don't think that's a secret to anybody, right? If you've ever been hooked by that, you know how sour and dark you can get when it grabs you. <clears throat> and it can just become a huge blockage in our spiritual lives that it just kind of gums up the works and everything kind of gets stuck. Ephesians 4, uh, the admonishment is that we get rid of all bitterness. And Hebrews 12 says that we would, we would watch out that no root of bitterness, that idea of root is something that burrows down inside of you, be allowed to grow and defile or stain many. And so we were challenged to let the Lord wrestle with us in this area and help identify any area or person with which bitterness might resign and, and just allow the Lord to begin to speak into our hearts and deal, deal with that. Now, I realize that it, this isn't that easy for some of us. Now, in this room and watching this morning, there are a number of different personality types. And different personality types react to bitterness in different ways. All right? And so, so for some of us, it's to the death. Right? And for some, it's, well, whatever, you know, and, and we're like, ooh, you know, kind of thing. So uh, it's, it's a battle that for some of us is really tough. Some of us, it isn't that big of a deal. But um, here's why it's hard for all of us. Usually, bitterness, again, has to do with someone who's close to us. In other words, it's not something way out there in the hinterland somewhere. It's somebody close to us, somebody we've depended on, somebody we uh, cared about somebody, we've done things together, we thought we'd walk the trail of friendship, and then this happened. And, and, and so it has a tendency to really blow us up. And again, it doesn't have to be big. It just has to be close. But it should be added, big doesn't help either, right? Some of us have had those kind of blow-up things in life that uh, some of you have been part of a church that blew up. Right, And it can really wreck you. So uh, a lot of questions came out of last week that anticipated this week. I'm saving those for next week. Right? And I'm going to go through the questions that you've asked me while we've been doing this, and we're going to throw them out and dialogue on those a little bit. So it should be really fun. So please come back for next week. But uh, if we're letting the Lord deal with us regarding bitterness, the question on the table is, uh, how do I deal with bitterness in other people? In other words, if I'm working on it, if I'm cooperating with the Lord, but then I, somebody else is shoveling bitterness my way, how do I handle that? that that's a different uh, animal. And uh, so before we go on with that, before we talk about that, let's pray this morning, all right? Let's, let's seek the Lord again and only the stuff that He can do. Father, when we come this morning... We recognize we're dealing with emotional realities, but we also recognize we're dealing with spiritual realities. There are some things going on here that we can't see, but we know them, we can feel them, we can sense them, we can sense when darkness comes over us. We can sense when someone who is dark interacts with us, Lord, and we can sense when we're being stained by another person. And What do we do with that? How do we get that stickiness off of us? And Lord, we're going to look at some illustrations today and some pictures of that. And I just seek you that you would highlight, illuminate, do 
Holy Spirit, would you do so well? And just have a conversation with people as they are sitting and listening. Uh, high, uh, talk to them. And we give that to you. Great hope in your name. Amen. All right, so let's start with Scripture uh, as we always do. Here's the point from Scripture. You cannot, fire, you cannot fight fire with fire on this issue. In other words, you can't fight bitterness with more bitterness. It only makes it darker, worse, and digs a deeper hole and, and makes everybody more bitter. Uh, the bitter rhetoric of our political and social culture right now more than illustrates this, right? If you have hung on Facebook or anything like that or watched the news and watched the rhetoric, it has just boiled over and uh, we've lost our minds in our culture. So it's imperative that we listen to Jesus on this, on this matter and we must track with the Holy Spirit and not our fleshly nature, right? There's a war going on inside of us and how we do this as well. So revisiting Romans 12, it says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, there's, it's a key phrase, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So point number one. Point number one is that we're not to return evil for evil. We'll come back to that, more about that in a second. Point number two, it says as far as it is possible to live peaceably with those around you. It may not be possible. You may have tried every trick in the book. You at least know, and that neighbor or that relative or that uh, person in your family just continues uh, and and you're like wow and again we'll talk more next week um, steps and what you can do for that but it may not be possible but you are to do everything you can possibly think of doing and when you do that they're still contentious with you right they're still coming at and i think people right away names are flashing in your head and you probably should start praying for them right now all right uh, the third point is, uh, if you let, by the way, back up one second. If you let them in, it could be really harmful to do so. So you've got to exercise some wisdom here. We'll talk about that next week as well. Point number three, vengeance belongs to the Lord. Why is that so important? Because we as humans love revenge. We love it. We drink it up. It is something that we, we, we just wrap ourselves in we, we call it payback right and there's a whole bunch of other words that go with that okay not trying to pollute your mind just saying the reality that it is uh, you get what's coming to you justice uh, some of the most successful movies that have come out of hollywood are revenge movies if you if you think about it uh, the bad guys get what's coming to them do you remember these lines right arnold schwarzenegger terminator 2 hasta la vista baby right yeah, right, we get all pumped up. Um, how about uh, Home Alone, Macaulay Conklin, right? Keep the change, you filthy animal. Remember that one? Of course, you got to have Clint, right? Clint's got to be in this, right? Right? Do you feel lucky, punk? Right? And the other one that's, go ahead, make my day, right? Can't remember if I spent five or six. What do you think? Go ahead, reach for it, right? And we just go, yeah, right? And, and then uh, 
How about this one? Hello, my name is Inigo Matoya. You kill my father, prepare to die. Right? Yes! <laughs> right? Why does that strike such a chord in us? Because the evil, bad person gets what's coming to him and justice is done. And here's what God's trying to tell us. We are really bad at justice. Justice is a huge cry. We seldom hit it right and we seldom hit the middle. We go flying right by it as we see it go by. There went justice right out the window. And if you watch the, the pendulum swing of our culture here lately over the last five years, it's just crazy how it's swinging. And it's still swinging. Right? So justice... It, we're not that good at it unless the Lord's in charge of it. And here's, here's where we get stuck. When it doesn't look like God's going to do anything about it, then I'm going to take it into my own hands. If God's not going to move, then by God I will. And I'll make that sucker pay. right? And whether that's physical or emotional, whatever, we're going to take it into our own, own hands. And then you find people that for the rest of their life are hooked with the issue of payback. You can see it. You can feel it when they talk. When the first subject come up, yeah, you should have saw what happened to me, and blah, 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 and it goes on like that. Scripture says we are to entrust vengeance to the Lord because he can handle it, he can balance it out. As a matter of fact, the, the passage here says we're to do the exact opposite of what our flesh wants us to do, and it says we are to overcome evil with good. Now, a lot of times when we read that, we go, rats. Or even worse, we go, oh, what? what? No, come on, be nice. To I don't think so. Right? It's really a struggle for us sometimes. Uh, the illustration is to bless and feed our Emily, that the goodness will bring conviction on our enemy and bring conviction on their head. Uh, by the way, this isn't the only place. Jesus illustrates this, and just in case you want to make sure that he does, let me run you through a couple places where he does. In Matthew chapter 5, he says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him to have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. There's about four sermons in that right there, right? But we'll keep going. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, and this is coming directly from Jesus himself, I say to you, love your enemies. Anybody ever wrestle with that one? I have. You shall love your enemies and hate, or you should love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And right here is where Jesus loses people. This is where, what, is he daffy or what? 
Well, does Jesus not have a clue? I mean, you know, this stuff is good for church and it makes nice for Sunday morning, but come on, it does not work out in the real world. Not on my job site anyways. What are we supposed to do? Just get trampled? I mean, just let them walk all over us? By the way, if it's any encouragement to you, we aren't the only ones who felt that way. Did you know the disciples felt that way as well? Look with me uh, in Luke chapter 17. Jesus is saying, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Now, okay, we got that part. But then he goes on. If he sins against you seven times a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. This, of course, is difficult. I mean, when is enough enough? You can tell that it rattled the disciples as well because what was their next statement? Their next statement was, Lord, increase our faith. And you're going, what, did, what do you mean? Why? Because Jesus was saying something that sounded impossible to him. It isn't even necessary. Is it even necessary to forgive that many times? But Jesus isn't daffy. And he isn't unrealistic. Jesus is incredibly wise. And he knows how this stuff works. And the next statement gives us kingdom insight into our common problem with bitterness. Uh, this week, uh, Ben Russell sent me an article that he had sent me back in 2015. And I had kind of forgotten about it, but he knew I was uh, speaking about bitterness. And, uh, and so he, he sent me this article again. It's by Rick Renner. It's called Gems Found in the Greek. And it's a really good uh, illustration for this morning. So Ben and Cassandra, if you're watching this morning, shout out to you. Love you guys. And thanks. Very timely. Uh, but again, the article is from Rick Renner. It's called Gems in the Greek. And Renner explains this. He, said, he says in Luke 17, 6, the Lord says to them, and, and we'll look at this farther next week, if you have, a grain, have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, mulberry tree is more accurately, if you look into it, is a sycamine tree. That's how they would know it back in the promised land. It's a sycamine tree. And uh, some translations would say sycamore, but a sycamore tree and a sycamine tree are a little different. A sycamine tree is more of a mulberry tree, and that's uh, what was in there. It says, Jesus taught his disciples about forgiveness and forgiveness through this lesson of the sycamine tree. And he taught about how to remove these evil forces from one life. And so in this illustration, Jesus likens these forces to the tree that was so well known in that part of the world. The word sycamine comes from the Greek word sukaminos, right? And it's the Greek word that refers to a tree that grew up throughout in the Middle East. So this is a sycamine tree. Some of you have been to the Holy Land, probably have seen that tree before and, and what it looks like. And Renner says, when you understand everything that's connected uh, to this tree, you'll know exactly why Jesus chose it as an example of bitterness and unforgiveness. So I think that's going to apply to us, so let's, let's take a look at that. Jesus told his disciples, if you had the faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Notice that Jesus says, this, this sycamine tree. So the, the picture, the illustration is Jesus was probably pointing at a tree like this and saying, if you said to this tree, 
be cast out. It would, it would do it. So he's pointing to uh, a sickening tree. Keep in mind uh, that Jesus, in this context, is talking about getting rid of bitterness and forgiveness. Go back and look at the passage again. So he told the disciples they needed to forgive those who sinned against them, which is what we've been talking about. Then he took it to the maximum by saying that even in Luke 17, 4, that by even if a brother does something wrong seven times in one day and is truly repentant, they were to keep on forgiving the offending brother. Now, I think most of us know, in our experience, forgiving once is a big deal, right? Just forgiving once is quite a challenge. Forgiving multiple times gets to be uh, crazy. It sounds impossible to many folks, and it sounded impossible to the disciples. And that's why they said, Lord, you're going to have to increase our faith, right? The equivalent of this is, Lord, we don't know if we have enough faith to forgive so many times in one day. Anybody been there with that? Jesus, I'm sure you're here, and I'm sure what you're saying is true. I'm not sure I've got... (laughs) I'm not sure I can cooperate with that. That's what he was saying to them. You'll have to increase our faith if you're going to do this seven times in one day. This is when Jesus began to teach his disciples, and he was talking about this seed of faith, and Jesus used this, and he's talking about the tree that he's pointing to. Now, before you can understand what Jesus taught about getting rid of bitterness and forgiveness, Renner says you first have to see why he used this tree Uh, to illustrate these destructive forces. And he says, you know, why this tree? Why this type of tree? Um, Why why didn't he use an oak tree or an apple tree or a palm tree or or something like that? Why did he use this specific tree, this sycamine tree, to symbolize the detrimental effects of bitterness and unforgiveness in a person's life? Well, as you look at the characteristics of the tree uh, that we'll go through, I think you're going to comprehend why Jesus used this particular tree. So let's look at some points about this tree. So point number one, the sycamine tree has a very large and deep root structure. Matter of fact, uh, it's one of the deepest root structures of any trees known in the Middle East. It ha- it's a vigorous and robust tree. Uh, it grew to a height of about 30 feet. You can see the, that in the picture. But its roots went so far down in the soil that it was really difficult to kill. In other words, you could lop branches off of it, you could even cut into the trunk, and it would still tend to stay alive. Hot weather and blistering temperatures had little effect on this tree because it tapped into a water source way below the ground. Um, And if you cut at its trunk, it would tend to reshoot sprouts and, and grow back again. So in other words... This tree is very difficult to eradicate. No wonder Jesus used this tree as an example of bitterness and unforgiveness. Like the sycamine tree, bitterness and unforgiveness must be dealt with clear to the roots, or they will keep springing up again and again. The roots of bitterness and unforgiveness go down into our souls in the deepest part of them. And it's fed by an offense that lies hidden in the soil of the heart. In other words, other people can't see it until you tap it, and then out comes the fruit. The hidden source of offense will cause the evil forces to resurface in a person's life over and over again. In other words, the, the root is going to keep feeding the shoots and keep feeding the tree. 
It'll take serious decision for a person to rip these roots of bitterness and offense out of one's heart and so that they cannot grow back in the future. So deep root system. Number two, the sycamine tree's wood is the preferred wood for building caskets. Did you know that? Isn't that a great point? Any of you thinking of buying one? You can get a sycamine tree. There you go. Renner says in Egypt and the Middle East, the sycamine tree was considered to be the preferred wood for building caskets and coffins. It grew quickly in nearly any environment, making it accessible in many different places. It also grew best in dry conditions. Listen to this. It's the kind of conditions, of course, which we know the Middle East is famous for. There are two reasons the sycamine wood was used in uh, so many places for the building of caskets and coffins. Again, we can see this illustration of the sycamine tree and why it's so ideal for portraying bitterness and unforgiveness. Just as the sycamine tree grew very quickly, so does bitterness and unforgiveness. In fact, it doesn't take too long for all of these evil forces. If someone gets hooked by bitterness, uh, for these kind of forces to get out of control and start taking over the whole person's life, just like these trees tend to get rooted in a place and then take the whole place over. And so it, it's kind of like a weed tree in a lot of, lot of ways. He says, when these fast and ugly attitudes are allowed to grow freely, they not only spoil the condition of your own heart, but they ruin your relationships with other people. That's one of the keys. Just as sycamine tree grew easily in every environment, so does bitterness. Bitterness is no, uh, plays no favorites, right? It, it grows in a lot of environments. It doesn't matter, he says, where people are from, where they live, what kind of cultural background they grew up in, or what level of society they belong to. Bitterness and unforgiveness grow in human hearts everywhere, for they are universal in their scope of evil influence. The sycamine trees, by the way, uh, grew best where little rain fell and water was sparse. So they don't need a lot of rain, which is very interesting. Um, and isn't that just like bitterness and unforgiveness, right? It, it tends to grow. These negative attitudes flourish where spiritually dry conditions exist. So if your heart's dried up, bitterness tends to be a welcome neighbor, you can almost count on finding bitterness and unforgiveness growing and blossoming where there's no repentance, no joy, and no fresh rain of the Spirit. That's where it tends to dig in roots the best. And don't forget, he, he goes on to say that the sycamine wood was the preferred wood for building caskets and coffins. What a powerful message this is, he says. It tells us that bitterness and unforgiveness are deadly. Harboring bitterness in and will spiritually bury you more quickly than anything else. These attitudes are the materials that Satan uses to put you six feet underground. I thought that was a great illustration, right? Let me stress this point to you, he says, because it's important. If you permit bitterness and unforgiveness to grow in your life, pause, online here, I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm sure this is important. If you permit bitterness... And unforgiveness to grow in your life, it won't be long until these attitudes have killed your joy, stolen your peace, and canceled out your spiritual life. That's how serious it is. Number three, this is a good one. The sycamine tree produced a fruit or a fig that was very bitter to eat. So the sycamine tree and the mulberry tree are kind of plant cousins, right? 
the mulberry tree produces a wonderful fig that is delicious to eat and held in high accord, and so often it was wealthy people that could eat it. The sycamine tree produces a very bitter fruit, a very bitter fig. Uh, it looks exactly the same. So if you took one from a mulberry tree and you took one from a sycamine tree and compared them, they look exactly alike, but they taste tremendously different. So you can eat from the mulberry tree and it's a delicious fig, uh, but the, the sycamine fig was cheap and therefore affordable to poorer people. And, and that's because they couldn't afford the substitute from the mulberry. But here's the point about the, the fig. From the sycamine tree, it's so bitter that you can't eat the whole thing at once. You got to gnaw on it a little bit at a time because of the incredibly tart taste that it is. And so in order to consume uh, an entire sycamine fig, the eater had to nibble on it. You couldn't just, right? You had to nibble on it. Uh, and after a while, you'd come back and return again, but you could never, uh, Renner says, devour the whole fig in one sitting. Uh, it was just too tart and pungent to eat at one sitting. And I have no desire to try this, by the way, okay? Just to prove that that's true. Um, Jesus just lets us know that like the sycamine fruit, the fruit of bitterness and unforgiveness is bitter, tart, and pungent. Like the fig, most people who are bitter and filled with unforgiveness chew on their feelings for a long time. They nibble at bitterness for a while, and then they pause to digest what they've eaten. And after they've reflected deeply on their offense, they return to the memory and start to nibble on bitterness again. Taking one little bite, then another little bite, and then another, and as they continue to think and meditate on the offense... They internalize their bitter feelings towards those who have offended them. And in the end, their perpetual nibbling on the poisonous fruit of bitterness makes them bitter, sour people. And just as the primary consumers of the sycamine fruit were poor people, those who sit around and constantly meditate on every wrong that's ever been done to them are usually bound up with all kinds of poverty. Their bitter attitude not only makes them spiritually poor, but they are also frequently defeated, depressed, sick, and financially poor as well. Not always, but it often that goes together in a package. And number four, here's the in interesting point. Why was that fig, why is the fig of the mulberry tree so good to eat, and why is the fig of the sycamine tree uh, so terrible to eat? And the reason is, is that the sycamine figs are not pollinated naturally. You know how they're pollinated? I found this absolutely fascinating. They are pollinated by the sting of a wasp. In other words, the wasp goes to this tree, finds the fig, takes its stinger, sticks it in the heart of the, of the fig, and that's how the tree is pollinated. Thus the tree and its fruit have to be stung in order to be reproduced. Now think about how many times you've heard a, a bitter person say, I've been stung by that person once and I'm not going to be stung again. Right? We use that language. What he did hurt me so badly, I will never let him get close enough to sting me again. It's likely that people who make such a statement have been stung by a situation. And here's, here's the key point in this this morning that the devil especially devised to pollinate their hearts and souls with bitterness and unforgiveness, just like that wasp 
pollinated that fig with the sting of its stinger. When a person talks like this, you know for sure that the wasp of bitterness has gotten to them, has poisoned their heart. We have to understand and acknowledge that the point here is that we have to recognize that behind bitterness, there's something else. Behind unforgiveness, there's something else. There's spiritual warfare going on. There's another voice talking. There's another uh, factor in the game that often we don't account for, but this picture tells us what it is. Uh, There's a spiritual warfare component to bitterness. Satan in Scripture is also referred to, right, what, a serpent or a snake? But here the picture is of a wasp. And we have wasps and hornets in the Northwest. We know what it's like to get stung by them, right? That's kind of a nasty deal. And um, I remember we were Eastern Washington one time, and poor Abby just kept getting stung and stung. And the ultimate was she went to grab her soda and drink, and a wasp had gone in the drink and then stung her on the lip, right? And she went running and, (laughs) ah, we know what that feels like. But here's the point, and there's a venom. There's a spiritual venom that goes with this stuff. Just like a snake has venom, or just like a wasp has venom, there's a venom that goes with bitterness and unforgiveness. And that's exactly what bitterness does. It acts like venom. It acts like poison to our heart. It, we would literally say, it, it's hardened up my heart. That's what poison does. Right? So the question this morning is, have you been stung? This issue with bitterness and why it's so harmful to us and other people, it's who's behind it that makes it so deadly, not the actual thing itself. It's the personality behind it that makes it so deadly. I have said this many times. This is true of almost anything, pornography, all that kind of stuff. If you could see the demon behind it, you would never do it. If you could see the actual spiritual reality behind what you're playing with, you would never do it. And this is really true of bitterness and forgiveness. If we could see the demons that are whispering behind it to keep us going, to keep us hanging on, to keep us gripping, we we would never play with it. But because we can't see the demon behind the veil, we keep stoking the flame and we end up getting burnt. I want to bring us to something that uh, I've taught and add this to it. So we've talked a lot about the difference between heaven and the difference between hell. I'll use these two positions on stage. This is heaven, this is hell. And I've said many times to us that truth is the language of heaven. Everybody remember that, right? Truth is the language of heaven. And what do we say is the language of hell? Lies, right? Lying is the language of hell. Why does Satan lie? He is the father of lies. Everything we know about lying in our world comes from him, okay? It wasn't part of the garden until when? The serpent came and spoke to Eve. Lying was invented by Satan. So truth is the language of heaven. Lying is the language of hell. But the heart of heaven is holiness. Holiness means it works. We're whole. We're not fractured and fragmented. Wholeness, holiness is the heart of heaven. And if we look at hell, the heart of hell is evil. 
right? In other words, that's what Satan produces is evil. When he gets in charge and he can run things and he can push a person, a couple, a family, a neighborhood, a community, a state, a culture, he, the end result is always evil. And here's how bitterness fits in, all right? The language of heaven or the attitude of heaven is joy and gratefulness. That's why there's so many admonitions to be, have joy, to be grateful in the Lord to your heart. Sing psalms and melodies with your heart. There you go, Esther. Have that one, all right? What is the attitude of hell? The attitude of hell is bitterness, right? Satan is the most bitter person in the universe. Remember when I said God is the most balanced personality in the universe? Okay, Satan is the most bitter person in the universe. And what's he bitter about? He's bitter over he got kicked out and lost what he lost. He's really hacked about that. But what he's even more hacked about is that God is going to give what used to be his to you. You got to be kidding me. You're going to give my stuff to them? Those maggots? Those what? And he is absolutely filled with resentment, absolutely filled with bitterness. And he is spiteful and full of venom. And that's why the attacks are so great. Because he is manifesting who he is. Okay? That's what we've got. So it's not just the situation that we have to deal with. Not just the actual uh, situation where we have a chance to be bitter. But it's the evil behind the situation that is so tough to wrestle with. How many of you, and I know you've done this, how many of you have had a situation, something went wrong, you said to myself, I need to forgive them, so you knelt down and you forgive them, and the voice came right back to you and said, nah, you ought to pound them into the pavement. They don't deserve it. You should run them over. That would be, right? And you recognize that, right? It just comes right back. at That's not just you. That's not just your flesh. There is a real spiritual reality. It's called the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of hell. And they are at war with each other. And there's someone who wants to keep us hooked on bitterness and on resentment and unforgiveness. And it will come back and pester and pester and pester. We've got to see the warfare side. There is a real enemy. We want to be like Jesus not like him. That's the reason you have to let go of bitterness is because we want to be like Jesus and not like the devil. Look at that list. Which side are you on this morning? Next week, we're going to look at the antidote for bitterness. I'm going to tell you some of the questions and the comments that people have thrown my way. We're going to walk through how do we deal with this. And I've got a really interesting flip on a scripture that you know really well. And it should be really fun to walk through together, but we're going to look at how Jesus says to be free from this, all right? And again, let's keep the main thing the main thing. The devil's not the main thing. Jesus is the main thing, all right? Let's look at what he says next week. We'll come back and look at this together. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, this was a great illustration. The deep roots of bitterness, the, like the sycamine tree, Lord, the uh, issue of growing in dry climates just like bitterness does, the issue of uh, the wood used for caskets, um, the fruit being bitter, and then how did it get bitter, the wasp stinging it. Lord, that, that resonates. 
We know what it's like to be stung. We know what it's like to have our joy go right out the window and, and to just be angry. And Father, we need, and, and particularly in our culture today, we don't have to go very far to find it. Lord, we have road rage. We've got people flipping people off, blowing horns, honking. Uh, Lord, we've got all kinds of attitudes about mask and no mask. We've got all kinds of attitudes about vaccine and no vaccine. We've got all kinds of attitudes about politics and what should or shouldn't be doing. And Lord, uh, all you got to do is shake or bump into something, and it doesn't take long for the bitterness to spill out. Lord, we don't want to contribute to that. We want to be like you. It's not as easy as it looks. We need your help. We pray that you would help us in this. And we'll look at that deeper next week. But we ask that you would be speaking to us this week. And that you'd have already prepared the table before we get here next week. And we ask this in your name. Amen.